So I want to showcase more of the Black experience outside of what they portray. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Sallow. And this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates. It, I was going to say in the spirit of Socrates, we have to have the philosophical connection there. Okay, done. Thank you. Happy. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> not really. I mean, I, clearly, if you listen to the show, if you're a fan of the show, you know I hate philosophy because it's so mushy. But yes, I'm mm-hmm. happy. I, I, we got to stay on brand. We got to build. <laughs> we got to stay on brand. Yes. Well, the idea is that one of the the main projects of Socrates, the father of Western philosophy, is this idea of going out into the world and inquiring what he didn't know he didn't know. And in that process, that conversation, other people also learned what they didn't know they didn't know. And so we are just continuing that tradition, podcast style. I mean, it's, if, if there's a medium to learn what you didn't know, in my opinion, the podcast is the best way to learn what you didn't know because you can hear from experts. On this next episode, we have an expert in what's it really like to be a you know, a multi-talented creator who's, who's also, I mean, I, I don't want to over-focus on this, but we, we do get into this during the podcast, who is also African-American and, and wants to promote um, African-American creatives. And, and I, I mean, he talked about the philosophy regarding that. And that's with my friend, John Thomas. Uh, he is an actor, producer, and author. Uh, Songwriter. He, songwriter, which, you know, if you stay to the end of this episode, there's something extremely special at the end of this episode that stick around, that John, stick around. absolutely stick around that John let us put on here. And he, Gwen, you, you want to know what's really special about this guest? Mm-hmm. He is hopefully, he's definitely the first, but hopefully the last guest that I've killed. <laughs> Did he talk about philosophy too much? You know, it wasn't philosophy that that (laughs) was the reason why I killed him. John and I met on the set of a short film that he and I did together. It's called The Director, which will be out very soon. And hopefully we can provide something for our podcast listeners, our Patreon guests, something where they can access the short film. And that's where John and I met. And it's okay. I can give it away. I kill his ass in the director and we became friends. Like what? I mean, that's, I mean, there's something philosophical about that, I think. Sure. Yeah. I'm just talking, I'm just talking talking crazy. You know, what's your overview of this particular show for, for our listeners? This show was great because you did get kind of the behind the scenes idea of, you know, the work that goes into being a creative content creator, a producer, and somebody who's in the thick of, you know, what do I want to say? Who's in the thick of this process in such a way where he is able to give us insight about what kinds of roles, what goes into casting, I guess. That was one of the things. What goes into stories? What goes into casting? Um, what is the role of race when it comes to producing and storytelling? And that is something that I think has been taken for granted in the history of filmmaking And so it's really cool to see or to listen to John talk about the role that it's playing in his work. And one of the things that he's doing is that he's making a difference by the stuff that he's producing. He's being extremely conscious and intentional about the stories and who is cast in the stories, what he is producing. Yeah, that's very cool. What I loved about it is it it gives his own unique perspective as an African-American actor producer. And he's like, well, I don't think there's enough roles out there that are portraying this story of the African-American narrative. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And that's what's awesome about it is he's a, you know, a DIY, do it yourself for, you know, if he wants to make a change, he's going to, you know, take the bull by the horns and go for it. And that's why I think his energy is infectious. And if uh, listeners do not know his name now, I guarantee they will know it in the future. Yeah. And check out his Instagram. It's hilarious. It is. Really, really good clips. That dude is multi-talented. Yeah. And I should just throw out that uh, Zadie makes a bit, a couple of appearances in this episode, but you know, that's just how it goes. She's a part of the show. She's a part of the show. All right. And so remember to stay until the end. We have a special treat for you from John Thomas. Okay. Let's talk content creation. Beautiful. Let's talk content creation. The philosophy, the philosophy and intention of content creation. All right, let's do it. 
like I, I stop for a while and then I do a skit and it'd be really funny. And then I would push myself to do more skits because, you know, as a creator, you feel like, oh, I have to keep up with everybody else. And then I start creating stuff that probably wasn't really that funny to me, but I was like, that's kind of funny. But then it'll kind of come across to others where I was just like, oh, that's kind of funny. You know, you know? so, so it's just kind of like, oh man, like, dude, I, I just, I only need to create skits when I really think it's funny. You actually touch upon something that's really interesting to me, John, hmm. that vicious cycle of if you're a content creator, right? Obviously you're following your friends that are also content creators. And if they're pumping out something new every single day, you get into that mindset of, oh my God, I, I, I have to do that and more because they're doing it. And it can become like this crazy vicious cycle, I feel that like, there's two schools of thought out there. Content is the most important thing. Doesn't matter if it's good, if it's bad, if it's whatever. And then there's the other school of thought of, well, you know, I guess it kind of depends upon what you want to be known for. Do you want to be known as just pumping out content or do you want to have high quality content? And it's, right. I, I don't know, it's the battle between the two that I, I find fascinating. Hmm. I am not a content creator in any way, shape or form, primarily because of my day job. The content that I put out is in writing and in, on these podcasts. But people like you and, and other like, you know, true artists, it's got to be really stressful, man. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it, it is stressful because, you know, on top of that, and I'm, I'm working too. So, so it's like you want to, I mean, thankfully, I have a job to where it's, it's really flexible. Thank God. I, I don't know how I've gotten to this point. But, but um, it's flexible enough to where I can kind of come in like within a reasonable, but, but like whenever I want, as long as I do the set amount of hours that they've asked. So thank God for that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And the thing is what I've been, I've been battling against where you see these people that have like 1.6 million followers or 500,000 followers and, and all of this stuff. And they are putting out weekly content and you're comparing yourselves to those people. And it's the thing that I've constantly been seeing where, because I follow motivational pages on Instagram too, just to keep myself sane. <laughs> so just to kind of keep myself grounded and stuff. But, you know, a lot of things I've been seeing on those pages where it's just like, you know, stop comparing yourself to others because they're at a different part of the race than you. They're closer to the finish line than you. You just got started, you know, and you're already trying to like, man, why, why am I not right by the finish line? This isn't fair. They're, they're on the third lap. I'm on my first lap. And it's just like, well, yeah, they've been, they've been running this race for a while, you know, so it's just like just put in the time, put in the effort. But it is difficult with social media because on one hand, yeah, it's to promote yourself. But then on the other hand, there's the dark aspect of social media to where you're constantly comparing yourself. And it's almost designed in that way to where you have people where they you know, put these filters on. They don't look like themselves, you know, to make themselves look even more beautiful. Or they're, I'm, I'm, I have a picture of myself. I'm out in Hawaii. Oh, don't you wish you was here and all this stuff. So you're <laughs> at work and you're sitting there thinking like, dang, yeah, I do wish I was there. Oh, why can't I? Why am I not in Hawaii? And it's just like, dude, you have other stuff going on. There's other <laughs> things happening right now. You can't be in Hawaii right now. I, I wanted to ask when you are thinking up skits and stuff, how do you know when you, like what makes something funny? Like what is it when you have that idea and you realize like, okay, this is, this is a good idea. What to you are the elements that make a skit entertaining and funny? I would think it's, uh, it's, it's entertaining when it's something that a lot of people can relate to. And that, and that also from trial and error, because I, I put out some, st <laughs> some stuff to where it's like, it's funny to me, but then Thankfully, I have some friends where it's just like, yeah, I didn't really get it. And it's just like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? <laughs> no, no, you just don't understand funny. And it's just like, no, so I had to really understand. It's just like, oh, like maybe me and my select friends think this is funny, but they don't because of A, B, and C. So when it's especially like something like relationships, you know, everybody can relate to relationship stuff. So that's always a funny bag to go into. With work, you know, I think I did something with <laughs> with work. If you're if you're working at a, at a store and somebody comes and messes up your the stuff that you tried to prep and you just straighten it all up and they just completely mess it up and you just get angry. So I was like, that's kind of funny because a lot of people work and they understand that in the customer service aspect, you know. So something that people can relate to is the best thing, you know, that most people can relate to. That's probably one of the best definitions. It's so tangible, John, as to, okay, well, what is funny? Like we, and, and we've had on this show, we've had a number of, let's just say, 
comedians and people that work in comedy. I did a tiny bit of stand-up for a while because I was trying to become a better speaker and, and I've done like, you know, a dozen stand-up things and, and maybe I'll do it again. Nice. But honestly, I've never heard a definition so simple like you just did it. Relatability is funny because if it's relatable and if, and if yeah. mass amounts of people can be like, oh yeah, I, I can, can almost like feel like you're in the shoes of the skit or shoes of the joke, then it's just that's a home run. A lot more people are going to laugh at it. And oh, yeah. if you're ever doing standup, you might, if, if you have a joke that's not very relatable or it's not very funny, guess what? You're only getting one or two or maybe three laughs. It's the relatable jokes that you can get the whole crowd in there. So, you know, kudos to you, man. I've, I've never heard a definition easier than that. Yeah, that's what I like about comedy. I think there's comedians are great observers. So they're able to take something that it has to be true. Otherwise, it won't be funny. I think that's the other like a necessary condition is that the joke has to be true in some way. Otherwise, there's no there's nothing funny about it. And then that truth is actually what can alert us to the observation that maybe comedians really great comedians. I think that what or uh, comedic content um, are able to reveal a truth that maybe we don't normally think about. Or I think sometimes what they can do is challenge an assumption that we're not even aware that we're carrying, and then it ends up being really funny. To me, comedians, and some of the best comedians, like they are the best truth tellers because you're, you're putting yourself out there, like they're not politicians, right? You know, because politicians, they're trying to appeal to everybody. They want to be everybody's best friend. And and, you know, they're just really trying to say whatever it is to get you on their side to kind of like get what they want. But with comedians, it's just like, I'm willing to put myself out there to be ridiculed, but I'm going to tell you the truth, you know, and I'm going to try to say it in a funny way so that way you can laugh about it, you know, but they speak the uneasy truths, but in a funny way, you know, to where yeah. cause it's, it's a great way for us to have that conversation. Because After you see it, it's like, man, you know what? Like Dave Chappelle, for instance, like he, he talks about like a lot of things to me to where a lot of people don't really talk about, you know, those certain uh, topics because either they're, they're seemed, oh, that's taboo right now or whatever. But I think especially if it's, if it's something smart and if you are a comedian that your heart is in the right place, as far as like there's no hate in what you're saying, then comedy is where you should talk about anything. Like there, even, I would say, even if there's a comedian that I don't necessarily like, like at a certain, certain point, I didn't like Sarah Silverman, for instance. <laughs> And hopefully she's not listening to this podcast. It's like, but I like you now, Sarah. But but like when she when she first started, I didn't really like her comedy. But you know, as she has evolved and grown, she changed and she because because her she the reason why I didn't like her comedy per se was that it was like low hanging fruit when she would talk about like black people, for instance. And I was just like, that's just not funny. You're just grabbing the really low hanging fruit and you're not really making it challenging. Like not not really being smart about it. So, but at the same time, like. It's comedy. It is what it is. Like, I, I'm not going to boycott her. But, you know, it's, but that's what I like about comedy. It's just like, hey, do what you do. I don't have to agree with you. But, you know, that's one of the, the last places to where people can just say how they feel. And, and the crowd will let you know if, if you suck or not. So that, that's that. I think something else that comedy can reveal is a power structure. And if that power structure is is only enforcing and let's say an unjust one or a problematic one, then it's really not funny. But whenever you invert the power structure, it can be funny. Like I think Sarah Silverman, I don't know what the jokes are that she made about people who are black, but to me already, I'm like, no, not funny. If you're black and you're making fun of white people, mm. that can be funny. Mm. Uh, and I think that it's because of a, just a historical power structure there that it can reveal it. Like what is it that... That's one of the reasons why I think it can be really important is when somebody is paying attention, but I don't know. Yeah, no, that, I mean, no, and you're right. Like, when, if you are, I guess, like a uh, white comedian, because there was like Comic View on BET a while back, and there would be white comedians that come up, and, and I always, I, I never was envious of them because it's just like, man, that's, that's a tough crowd to go into because of the history of the country and stuff like that. But I noticed, and that's just me learning from them too. I was just like, oh, the reason why they're winning them over is they're making fun of themselves and making fun of their own community. And just like you said, that inverse, where it's just like, I'm not making fun of you, I'm making fun of me, I'm making fun of, of our people. And then once you're able to do that, and then you can kind of make fun of the crowd you're in front of. But then even with that, you have to be very particular on that to where this is like, you're, you're just, like you're saying, you're observing. Like, hey, I noticed something. This is something I don't understand 
as a white person in the black community. And I, I'm, and I always think that's like a really funny, you know, entry into a joke to where it's just like, oh, that's good. And you can like, oh, what is it with, there's an actual, you know, name of the Kool-Aid, but you don't call it like cherry or strawberry, you say red or something like that. And it's just like, oh, that's funny because, you know, people in the black community do that. Yeah, this is the red Kool-Aid instead of the actual flavor that it is. So um, I always thought that was smart. So I definitely paid attention to that. But for, you know, also for me, it's just like, if you are a comedian and I can respect you more, like if you're going to make fun of a group of people, like also make fun of everybody else. Like for instance, Family Guy, like they, <laughs> there's been some jokes where it's just like, where they made fun of like in, in certain instances, like black people. And sometimes it's just like, oh, come on, man. Like, that's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's just like, okay, that's messed up. But I can't get really mad because they make fun of everybody else too. It's not just black people. So it's just like, you know what? Okay, I can I can accept it. You know, because it's, it's not like you're just only making fun of black people and making fun of uh, white people, making fun of Asian people, making fun of Hispanic people. Like everybody under the umbrella, they're making fun of. And that's what comedy is supposed to be. You make fun of everybody. Let's get into a little bit of your work because I noticed that you also have a couple things on Amazon, a couple like, okay, when you say like content creator, so you're an actor, you do skits, what is, let's just talk about some of the breadth of your work. Maybe how did, like, how did you get started? What's the trajectory of your career? You said you're from, is it Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, Tennessee. Okay. And, but wait, I think I saw, did you study something other than acting? Yeah. <laughs> Was it in uh, engineering or technology or something? Yeah, I, w I went to school initially for mechanical engineering. Oh actually. my god! Okay, so how? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off now. You guys, <laughs> you guys it's, it's an ongoing joke between Gwen and I. It's my hatred of mathematics, and she has this special relationship with me. <laughs> so you guys have fun. I'll be I'll just be sitting here. How? <laughs> like at what? Like what point when you're doing mechanical engineering? You know what? I'm gonna do I'm gonna do skits. <laughs> actually, this is a weird. I'll, I'll try to just quickly go through it, but I. I was first in love with, uh, my first love was music. So uh, both sides of my family sings. And so both of my brothers were mechanical engineers at this point. And it was just like, all right, that's, I mean, I like math and I like science. So that just makes sense for me to, to go into that field. So I got into that and it was fine, but there wasn't a community aspect in there. It was just like everybody felt like it was like, hey, you're on your own, like, you know, when you ask, hey, how did you get, not that I'm looking for an answer, but how did you get this? And, you know, you got to figure it out on your own and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is, this is really stupid. It's like, like, when you're at a job, you have to work together, you know, so um, I happened to run across an acquaintance that they said they were going to the studio and I was just like, studio where? And it was on campus and they, they were studying uh, to be a studio engineer. And I was like, oh, really, you can do that? And so I went into that field, uh, much to my parents not being happy about that and my oldest brother not being happy about that. <laughs> uh, but I just completely switched majors and I studied recording technology, which aka audio engineering. So I went through that and I started getting into uh, acapella groups and I was singing and choir and I started, I put out an album and I started going around the city performing the album at different places became a headliner at this cafe in downtown Memphis one of the headliners and it was great so once I graduated I was either going to go to Nashville or go to Atlanta to pursue music to you know pursue it and write music for other artists but I also wanted to get into acting and being a voice actor but I, I was just like I somehow get it so people kept saying like oh you sound like you need to go to LA you need to go to LA and I was like yeah yeah and my best friend was already planning on coming out here. So we were just basically going to go in opposite directions. And uh, long story short, a mutual friend was just like, hey, what if we all just saved up our money and just go to LA? And I didn't have a girlfriend at the time and I didn't have any a child or anything. So I was just like, hey, why not? You know, LA sounds great. So I came out here to LA and I was pursuing music initially, but I started getting into acting from there. And because the music industry has been like kind of on a decline for like what the artists should be getting. So the money wasn't really there like it should be. But with acting, I was getting just do a gig for a weekend and oh, I get one hundred and fifty dollars. And it was just like, oh, this is great. Like I, that rarely ever happens with music. And so, and so that's how I got into acting. And it's really been great ever since. And just as the years gone on, I started just becoming more and more serious into it. And eventually, that's how I got into skits, because I was just like, oh, there's because of people like Richard Pryor and, and uh, just all, all the other great comedians that I would see. I kind of wanted to do that. But I was just like, well, let, me, let me try it. Let me maybe I can do skits. I don't, I don't know. So and here we are. <laughs> just what I've been doing. 
have you found that your the mechanical engineering background or the mechanical engineering brain? I mean, because when you, when you do skits, and I've done a little bit of my own little, I filmed my own little short film, and it was so complicated, and you got to be really precise. There's timing, there's scheduling, there's all that. Do you feel like that mathematical brain is a massive benefit as opposed to somebody like me that barely even has a brain? <laughs> well, no, I don't doubt that because you're a lawyer, so uh, uh, you, you're very very smart. <laughs> but I, yeah, you know, because I remember when I when I did my short film, Emoticall, there were certain people that wanted to get me to like, hey, would you mind being a producer for this project and stuff like that? I've never been a producer before. I've never done that. So I was just like, no, I'm not going to screw up your project. I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> it's not going to be my fault. So uh, at some point, I was just like, okay, let me try with my short film. Let me see what happens. And, and yeah, just like you said, I think that analytical side, because I, I would work out the call sheet. Uh, I would work, okay, what do we need? What do we, you know, it's basically like I was a quarterback. And, and I was like, all right, so this is the play we're going to run. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And with my company, I always wanted it to be to where, like, whoever works with me on any project, that they never have anything really bad to say about my production company. Or if it is something bad, maybe it's like, oh, I didn't really care for the food for lunch. But that's about it. That's not that bad in comparison to, <laughs> to where he treated me like crap or, you know, he whatever, you know. Uh, so it was tough, but it was definitely fun, a really great experience. I think that was one of the few times where I only had like maybe two hours of sleep. And, you know, even the place that I used to, to shoot the film, you know, I was I was really like the last one there just cleaning up because I just wanted to make sure like, hey, these people allowed me to use their place. I wanted to leave it spick and span, almost as if I was never here. You know, it's like, were, were they even here? Did, did you guys film? You know, so uh, yeah, every aspect, I think that did come into play and, and it was really good. I brought on people who were very smart, very intelligent, that I could just give whatever tasks that they were in charge of to them and they took care of it and it turned out really, really good. So I'm definitely thankful and, and glad with the project that we had. And yeah, look, looking forward to making more stuff in the future. That's great, man. I, quick question. Number one is what's the name of your production company? Number two, is there an underlying theme to your content? Like, is there, is there something that you kind of go back to, like when you're writing down your ideas, you're writing down your skits, is there something that kind of you're seeing as like an ongoing theme into things? I, like for me, it, it has to do with, I'm an Arab American. And so I've, I've always kind of felt like the other growing up, especially because I grew up in the eighties and nineties and I've just had my kind of unique experience. And so there's, there's always this, like, there's this feeling of it and that kind of flows through in, in all of my writing, whether it's a drama, whether it's science fiction or whether it's just straight dystopian. And like, to be honest with you, I can't seem to get away from that. And that's probably why not, I'm, I'm not really doing that much comedy is because I keep going back to this theme. Are there some themes that you're finding yourself that you're, that like you're really strong in and you want to explore more? But first, what's the name of your production company? Uh, my production company is Thomas Harry Visions, and it's H-E-R-I, Thomas Harry Visions Entertainment. And basically, I guess with what my production company is trying to put forward is definitely more stories where it's touching on the, the Black experience and things like that. But really, like, for instance, with the Emoticon, the film, actually, you got the, this shirt right here, and we can't really see it. It's kind of, if I get closer. There you go. So that. <laughs> and so with that uh, short film, I, it was a uh, basically all black cast. But the interesting thing is if you take it and you can just completely replace all of these, this black cast with nothing but just all white people or all Asian people, it would be the same story. In this particular thing, I wanted to showcase like there's nothing wrong. Like the, the black person doesn't have to exactly be what Hollywood stereotypically makes it to be you know it's like oh you have to do this you have to be the gangster you have to be the thug you have to be whatever because as many like sci-fi or fantasy movies or whatever that i see you know there's barely there's like maybe like one black person maybe <laughs> and you know there's maybe like one asian person and one hispanic person but everybody else it's like they left all the the people of color back on earth or something like that it's like oh y'all stay here we're going to mars no don't, don't come with us <laughs> you know so seriously um, yeah you're right that that's a yeah. good observation it's a funny observation but you're totally spot on about that yeah so so i just wanted to like with this film i was just like you know what so it's just an all-black cast and it's and it's not anything like particularly black but it's just like we can have the same film like even though you don't see an all-black cast in space like or whatever like not this is in space but just in, in general like why not or an all-black fantasy story like why not and that would be really dope that'd be cool because you don't see that you haven't seen that before 
So if I can work up to that point, that would be great. But ultimately, overall with the umbrella with my company, I, I want to just create stories outside of just a dysfunctional family, like com- like a, a comedy movie with a hugely, a largely dysfunctional family, you know, so they have like those films or a love story that where the guy and the girl can't seem to, you know, she wants to be, she wants to be the independent woman and, and he wants to be the player and all this. So it's always like those kind of stories. And it's like, you know, there's more to us than that or the drug movies where it's just like, oh, I'm in the streets and I'm selling drugs and I'm trying to, you know, like, yeah, that exists, but there's more to us than that. So I want to showcase more of the Black experience outside of what they portray. Yeah, no, I, I'm sensitive to that. I, you know, in, in some of the writings that I've done where I've had, um, I try to always have an Arab American character because there's just not a lot of us out there. And I try to have us play all different types of roles, just like a normal person, a normal dad who has a normal job or be a normal villain, not necessarily a terrorist, but he can just be exactly. a normal villain. He could be a, he could, he could be a drug dealer. He could be a, he could be a, a bad person without having some kind of, you know, religious context to it, you know, right. I, and that's, and that's okay. What I'm trying to do is trying to break the mold of what you think, uh, you know, Arabs can play. Like it, right. that's always been kind of one of my goals in my writing and, and we'll continue to do. And I sounds like we're like spot on, man. Yeah. You could put us into anything, any movie, just like you can put an all white cast or an all Asian cast or an all African-American cast. One thing is that, you know, Arabs just tend to not get along very well. So you can never actually have an entire Arab cast. That's a, it's, it's a joke, but it's an actual truth. Like it's, we just, we, we everyone wants to be the leader. It, it's, yeah, this, yeah. It's, this, it's this crazy funny thing about us. I mean, I'm not trying to disparage my people, but when you have culturally, when you, when you have this thing of, you know, every person is, has to be right all of the time, it's much mm. better if, if we have people of other, uh, other ethnic backgrounds to kind of balance us out. So if, you know, <laughs> if, I, if I could just get one character out there that's just a normal Arab American, I'd, I'd be really happy about that. Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. I saw a, a trick, well, not funny. Well, I guess it's kind of funny, but uh, I saw a, a trailer for this one movie. I think it's called Record or oh, no, something like that. But the guy, it's like this girl that's trying to talk through um, Zoom, I guess, something, and and she's talking to this this Arab guy, and he's he's the bad guy. And then all of a sudden, I think like, wow, it's, it's funny that you just mentioned that, and they're putting out a movie where it's just like, oh, here's a here's an Arab guy that he's trying to. To, I guess recruit this white girl into this into his religion, and I was just like, "Huh, I'm not gonna go see it." But that's that's interesting. It'd be almost better if there wasn't a religious aspect to it, because there's, there's just this thing about everyone always associates Arabs with religion. It makes sense. The culture is embedded in religion. This is the way that we're raised and everything. I guess I'm trying to divorce the Arab character from religion in my writing, but it's so hard because just the culture as it is. But it doesn't have to be that though. You can say the same thing with like um, the black community and Christianity, but not every movie has to be about black people and Christianity. It's just like, yeah, just because of whatever my religious belief. I mean, America, America in general and Christianity or, you know, God or whatever, but not every movie deals with it. It's not like you don't you don't see this big action film. Like, for instance, Arnold Schwarzenegger, before he goes into killing some people, he you know, bends down and, <laughs> all right, Lord, you know, sanctify this killing. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like that's not going to happen, you know? So it's like, it doesn't have to be that. But I, I think that's, that's just really lazy writing. And yep. it's from those same people who try to put, I mean, same, same people, for instance, like uh, Disney, like before Kevin Feige in Marvel, he got to the certain point that he is. Uh, he was trying to put forth Black Panther and put forth Captain Marvel, but the person that was over him, I guess, like the the president of Marvel at the time, was really of that old guard, and they and he was just like, no, nobody wants to see a woman in a lead movie and she's a superhero. It's not believable. No one wants to see an all black cast of this. You know, that's, that's not believable. And thank God that they got rid of him and Kevin Feige is in his place. And sure enough. And, and that's crazy to me anyway. I, I, I hate that argument where they were just like, no, nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to see that, especially when it comes to women, because it's like there was uh, the show Xena. I remember watching Xena. Xena was awesome. Like there, there was never a point in time where I was just like, mm, this isn't believable. Man, hey, I, I would send Xena out to fight before me. Like, hey, Xena, make sure that the coast is clear before I come out. <laughs> <laughs> I 
trust you to protect my life. Like, I, I just don't believe that, man. Yeah, I think I've noticed um, a cultural, uh, some sort of a shift that in the way in which women had been portrayed for a long time was that they were the ones who were emotional and chaotic and the man was very rational. And then I think it was when I saw the film Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt that I noticed that that had shifted. She was the methodical, rational one and he was the one going by my gut that she had to rein in one of the things that this conversation is making me think about is that there's been this notion of Hollywood as being so, so liberal and like now everybody claiming the word woke. <laughs> and but I think that there is like, if you listen to conservative media, then they talk about this as being, you know, like, oh, liberal Hollywood and this and that. And there is some truth to that. And I think that it's because the inherent nature of being a storyteller enhances empathy or being an actor is that you have to see the world through another point of view. But there is this tension of who gets to play what role. So what you're both talking about is like, we want to have something that is character driven. And what is Hollywood historically done is that depending on the color of your skin, depending on your ethnicity, that's the character, right? That's the character. So I have these questions of who gets to fall in love. Hollywood still defines that. Like, are you going to see an Asian American actor be the lead who gets to fall in love? Who gets to be the villain? Who gets to be the hero? So um, there is this tension where, yeah, Hollywood is left-leaning, but that's also kind of a disingenuous way to think about Hollywood because, I mean, I know for women, for instance, you don't see many women on screen who are over 40. They don't get to fall in love. Or if they are over 40, they're the bitch. They're the boss that, you know, or they're like some sort of a hag. Like, there's all of these problems. So I guess the question is now, well, maybe it's not a question, it's more of a comment, but what do you think about that tension? Let me just put that out there. What do you think about that tension? Hollywood is liberal, but it's also still has its conservative ways. You know, so I mean, so it's disingenuous to say that Hollywood is very liberal, but I guess liberal where they want to be, because there's a lot of other ways where they're still conservative, that they're still gatekeepers. And and it's it's, it's ridiculous to where, like I mentioned earlier, where you have uh, Xena, uh, the warrior princess, right? It was an amazing show. It was in the 90s. That made progress or even had the show Wonder Woman, you know, what was like in the 80s, I think. Uh, so you had that and you had those two shows. Rudy would remember. It's, it's the 70s. It was the 70s and, and the early 80s. Okay. Uh, you know, when, when, I was, uh, when I was a child and Gwen w wasn't around, but because uh, I'm, I'm old and she's not. But yes, Wonder Woman with Linda Carter. Yeah. Sorry, I don't even, yeah, she, great. It was, fan it was fantastic, by the way. It was, that was a great show. I think it was very groundbreaking for the time. It's crazy for that stuff to happen. But it's just like, how, how can these things happen to show that, hey, women can be amazing. Women can be strong fighters. They can be the lead. They, you know, all these things that, yes, you can do that. Then how do you backtrack to where now you have like a Wonder Woman movie that comes out and it's almost like you got to fight for that or a Captain Marvel movie to where you have to fight for that. Granted, I didn't like the Captain Marvel movie, but, you know, hey, she should be able to have a movie. You know, it, does, it doesn't matter. But, you know, it's, it's just very frustrating to where you make this progress, but then you backtrack to where now we're right back kind of like where we started. Where it's just like, yeah, women can do this. And it's just like, yeah, but that, that was proven 20 years ago. We have to prove the same thing again? Why we have to prove? We, uh, haven't we moved past this? And uh, same thing with, uh, like, you know, same with the Black community where you had uh, Blade. That movie came out. That was amazing. And then for a long period of time, or, uh, oh, for, for instance, probably even a better example, Angela Bassett, when she played uh, in a movie, What's, What's Love Got to Do With It? Kick-ass movie, killed, man. Kick-ass Killed that movie. Killed and she she had that, and I forgot the the name of this other film that she had. I can't believe it's going, but, but she she was really like on fire in the '90s. And then it's like for a lot of black people who were doing really good in the '90s, between like the late '90s up until maybe the the mid 2010s, and black people started like kind of coming back into prominence in certain key areas. And it's just like, well, why was that? There's so much dead space, a 20 years worth of dead space, you know, and, and, and it's, it's like, it's not just, you know, for these, like, like in a lot of different people where it's just like we make progress, but then we backtrack and then we're back at the same place where we were before. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that answers the question, but it, it just really it points out a flaw in Hollywood. <laughs> so. I'm, 
I'm going to throw out a crazy theory, and I don't mean to be throwing any political parties under the bus here, but let but let's just let's just explore this really quick. 1970s, you had Wonder Woman. You also had Charlie's Angels, right? Great, great show. Mm-hmm. And then what happened in the 1980s? You had the Reagan era. Things just went more conservative. I mean, it, it, it's a fact, right? AIDS came out. The country just kind of turned, right? Mm-hmm. Early 1990s, you know, the Clinton era, whether it's good or bad, or they're bad or good. Things kind of liberalized a little bit. And then what happened? Early 2000s, 9-11, focused on security. Once again, see the 80s, we were focused on bringing down the Soviet Union and, and the Afghanistan war. And that has a trickle down effect. It does. Um, early 1990s, you had the Gulf War, but eventually, you know, things kind of liberalized, the fall of the Soviet Union, and things just, you know, went in that direction. Early 2000s, 9-11, conservative party was in power for eight years and that could be one explanation. You can look at external events in the world or like what, what's going on in the country and how that affects entertainment. I'm yeah. throwing that up against the wall, but I almost feel a little bit, Gwen, that we, ta- we touched upon that a little bit with Dahlia when she did the exploration of the virus narrative and everything and external things like politics and who's in power and things happening in the world. I think they have a big effect. I think on you're this. right. I really do. I really I think, do. I, I, that's, that's a really, really good point because especially when there's some sort of a crisis, then people want to revert back to what they're comfortable to. And mm. roles are very like strict gender roles. I'll speak in terms of women, that that is very comfortable because it feels organized when the world is chaotic. So when the world mm. is chaotic, I think we're less likely to experiment. But yeah, I think that's a really good point, Rudy. Yeah. Uh, you were going to ask about acting classes, Gwen. I'm sorry, I didn't mean oh, to interrupt so you. I am, so I just know like, let's say when it comes to philosophy, so when it comes to my discipline, there are, um, it's the most male dominated academic discipline. And so when I was taking a look at how is this the case? Well, when you look at syllabi, it's because all that's being taught in the universities are philosophers of Western European descent. So it makes sense that women are not going to take a philosophy class and be like, yeah, I want to major in that because there is no mirror or resemblance of themselves in the work. I am wondering about acting, about drama classes or about theater majors. Do you have maybe um, fewer or how many when you have um, black women or uh, black men deciding to go into Hollywood or content creation or storytelling? What does the class look like? Do you have the students there? So, like, for instance, the class that I've taken, this is a, a great class, but I'm the only Black person there. <laughs> so, that's, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I'm wondering. So it's, it's a number of things. Pursuing acting is an expensive endeavor. You know, just pursuing entertainment in general, anything entertainment, it's an expensive endeavor. Amen. And almost in, in acting in particular, it's, it's just, it's a lot. There's so much money that you're putting into it that you're hoping to get a certain amount out of it. You know, so you have to pay for acting classes and then you have to, to get your headshots and uh, headshots can be between like on the low end, let's say $80, really cheap, you know, headshots and then up to $300. So let's say potentially $300 for headshots. Uh, that, you know, that's, on top of it. That's for mm-hmm. one headshot, my friend. I, I, you, they can go, they can realistically, you know, these days people want, oh, well, we want three looks. We want you to wear this. We want you to look that. It, it could be a thousand dollars, John. Really? Yeah. It, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's up there, man. Yeah. So, and then on top of this, so then, cause I, I, I was talking about this with my friend and then probably paid, let's say 300 for the headshots. And then you have to pay to put it on the site. So however many pictures you're putting that on the site. So that's probably an extra $60, $70. And that's on one site because they want you to LA casting and actors access and potentially a third more. So let's just say two. So $120 on top of the 300. So that's $420 <laughs> that you've invested. And that's just off of just your image, your look. And to add to that, the, the acting class. So if you're paying for the acting class, let's say $200 a month. So that's uh, at, at one time, so it's about, what, $620, I think, if I'm adding all that right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and that's every month that you're paying for the acting class. So that's a lot of money you're putting in just to get out. So and th- that being said, the Black community doesn't have the capital that we used to have because of going back to what you're saying in a political aspect and not to get political per se, but that's just the reality of it. You had different people in office who targeted and just want, they want to keep the black community at the bottom, like the drug epidemic and taking 
you know, uh, targeting uh, Martin Luther King, targeting Malcolm X, bringing in drugs into the Black community, bringing in guns into the Black community. So if you introduce drugs, you know, then the person is hooked on the drug and they don't want to get out and do better for, better for themselves. And you have kids whose mothers was hooked on drugs and now the kid has to become older than, you know, they, they don't have a chance to be a child. And, and all, basically all of that, that trickles down to where it's the money that we had there, we don't have it anymore, you know, because our uncles or, you know, aunts, moms, dads are either on drugs that are in jail for using the drugs that were put into our communities because we don't have any planes or boats that we can ship this stuff into our community. So who's shipping it in? So, <laughs> so it's a very crazy thing. So that's why, long story short, that's why you don't see a lot of us in these acting classes because it's, it's very expensive and it's sad, but, you know, it, that is just the reality of it. You know, it's, it's something that in a lot of different ways, this country can actually help to try to fix it, but they haven't been doing it and they're not, so far, they're not trying to fix it. I don't know. Hopefully with what I'm doing with my production company, and I can't do it alone for sure, but I mean, I, at least I can do my part and try to create opportunities to where other artists, you know, Black artists and Black actors and actresses can be able to, to showcase their art and not have to worry about just being the Black best friend to the lead and being the, the drug addict or, or, or the police officer. They always try to <laughs> put us as a, the police officer or the detective, you know. So either you're the, the thug, the best friend, or the detective. It's a really interesting point. Like, I, I was just going through my brain, and one of the reasons why I became a lawyer is because there's many reasons why, but uh, I think films in the 1980s and and, you know, a lot of really cool films about law and lawyers and all the TV shows and everything. Right when you just said what you just said, my brain just kind of went through like the Rolodex that it's in there. And I was trying to think of how many African-American lawyers I've seen in film or in TV. And I can't think of a lot of them. It's very, very troublesome. I didn't really just realize that until you pointed that out. So I'm, I'm happy that you did. And in my writing going forward, I'm going to make sure that I, we have more African-American lawyers um, as a part of it. I was an actor on a podcast that was called Deliberations. I was on season four of it. And one of the attorneys that played the, the role that was the prosecutor, he was an African-American actor and he was great. He did a, it was just, it was just, it was, he just did such a great job. He was just such a kick-ass uh, prosecutor. And so that immediately came to my mind, but I was, I was just trying to think of like bigger films or, and things. And that's troublesome, man. I mean, that's, that's a really big deal. I'm really glad you pointed that out. Yeah, and that's and that's like the the uncomfortable, you know, truths that a lot of people because you know, and and I get it, you know, because there's there's a lot of people in America they're just like, hey, you know, like when Trump was in office, this isn't who we are, and a lot of that it's one extreme, you know, if you swing it to an extreme, it's just this isn't who we are, and so you don't want to talk about the things that actually is what we are or is making up or what is problematic. It's almost like the issue in your family, you know, that it's like, we don't really talk about that. We don't want to talk about that because it's just hard to talk about. You know, it hurts to talk about. We actually could fix it if we actually did talk about it. But yeah, let's uh, let's let's ignore it. Let's not talk about it because yeah, we're, 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 we're progressing. We're moving on. And it's just like, yeah, but, you know, you, you have to really heal that hurt if you want to really move forward. You just saying we're moving forward doesn't mean we're moving forward. You know, I, I can sit here and say whatever. I mean, the sky is green, but it doesn't mean it's green. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's, it's an uncomfortable truth. And I guess that's my job to here and there just in, in, a, in a nice way, but to, to just say, or it's not, I, I can try to make it as nice as I can be, but just to speak an un, uncomfortable truth. But let's actually try to make some progress out of it, not just point out what's wrong, but yeah, how do you fix it? You know, so that, that's what I'm about. What you're doing, John, by doing the production company and by having that focused writing and having this focus, it's not, it's not going to fix the problem. The problem's always going to be there, but it's right. definitely going to be a step in the right direction. And it's yeah. a great thing to dedicate your life to, in my opinion. Like that's like, Thanks, what a kick-ass goal. Like that's, <laughs> that's just, that's why I was asking, like, is there, is there a theme? I wanted to know the name of your production company. I think people need to know about it. Oh, I, thank I, think you. Very, I think that's very important. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, just create more opportunities for the Black community, really, you know, because, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to put us in, like, you know, better, like, like Viola Davis, uh, who else recently has been doing really good, to give them bigger roles and things like Regina that. Regina King. Year. Right, right, Regina King. Thank you. Yeah, I forgot completely. She is, she, like, yeah. she's, she, she's, she's amazing. She's she a is amazing. 
Yeah. yeah. I kind of forgot about that. I was like, yo, she's been acting for a while. <laughs> so Well, uh, this would be this would be interesting is that I think what was the show she just recently was recognized for where she's just like kicking ass and all that. What is the show? I've completely forgotten the name of it. Uh, was it The Watchmen? Yes. Like the, is it? The and then it's show? taking place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And yeah. as a result of that show, I think that Oklahoma went back and looked at their textbooks and included that. So that to me was really interesting. The power of storytelling, oh, yeah. of telling a story that is not told that somebody has to learn about history through the storytelling and this way, which I think is okay. I think that's part of the point of storytelling. But the textbooks actually changed as a result. Like you saw a shift. What are you thinking, Rudy? I- the show that you were that you were mentioning that Regina King was first on was a show that I loved. It was with Florence from the Jeffersons did a show called Two Two Seven. It was one of my favorites. Oh she was, yeah, she was, she, was, she was the kid on it. That's where yeah. that, that, that's, yeah. where the, that's where the triggering was from. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, I wanted to ask you. Uh, this is a this is a two part question. When you look back, is there um, an actor who somebody um, a black actor who stood out to you where there seemed to be this paradigm shift? Like there was something new going on here and then right now who do you think are some of the most important voices in storytelling in film and acting and why so <laughs> at the time I'm, I'm i'm only gonna speak about it at the time because uh it shouldn't be you know, it might be controversial i don't know but anyway i'm just gonna speak my truth so just kind of brace yourselves but at the time Bill Cosby. And the reason why I say that was because when I was growing up, uh, you had show Good Times, you had Sanford and Son, you had the Jeffersons moving on up, things like that, where it's, it's like, you know, either you're in poverty or with Jeffersons moving on up, oh, we, we're moving up to one of the better apartments, you know, but there's still like this struggling aspect. And I remember even some of the people around me, they were complaining about when the Cosby Show came out. It's like, oh, that's, that's not realistic for Black people. That's not, you know, how, how many Black people do you know that's living a life like this? Which, okay, yeah, granted, true. But also, I think that was very forward-thinking in a sense of where it's just like, we don't have to live a life like this. It doesn't just have to be that one aspect of struggling always. I mean, it's kind of, kind of like, I guess, in a sense where, like for me, like I'm, I'm tired of seeing slave movies, <laughs> where it's just like, there's more history to Black people than that. But, you know, it's just a constant narrative of the slave and struggling. It's just like, no, there's more. There were Black kings and queens. Why don't we have movies about that? Just reach back. And it's, they, they know the history, but it's just you don't think there's any money into it. You know, oh, people don't want to. Yes, I want to I want to see that. But uh, what he did, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time, because I think I was a little too young uh, at the time when I was watching, because I was just like, oh, OK, I get it. But as I got a little older, like middle school to high school, and I started watching it, I was just like, oh, this, this show is amazing. And it was just really good just to see for me, even though it was kind of what I, I was a decade or so late at the time, but well, not a decade late. Uh, but anyway, I, I was I was a little late, you know, joining. Yeah, no, I was a decade late. Yeah, I was a decade late joining the party, but I, I was watching a show and it was just amazing to see a black doctor and a black lawyer. Because I'm going back to what Rudy was talking about. How many black lawyers do you see? And it, it didn't even really say too much about, you know, it didn't really touch on the typical tropes that they would try to touch on with you know, certain black shows and stuff like that, which I thought was just amazing. This is just a regular group of people that happen to be black. You know, same thing like with my short film, it's just like, this is a sci-fi where these people are saving the world. They just happen to be black, you know? <laughs> you know so, and why, why can't these group of people just happen to be black? And that's what I, I love about this. So that was very groundbreaking to me to see something like that and to see so many successful black people to come in on this show. You see black nurses and black dentists and, and all of those things that they don't really show us typically as. So that was very significant for me. And as far as the, the people today who are, are doing great things, like I mentioned uh, before, like Viola Davis and yeah, Regina King, like she, is, she has been in the game for a long time. Both of them are creating opportunities for other people to step in and really Jordan Peele is another one. He he is creating That's a who lot I was of thinking of. In one of my classes, the students have to read Stepford Wives. And, you know, I was kind of curious to see if they would see any connection to a contemporary film. And um, some of them did pick up on Get Out. And it's just really having that conversation about what was accomplished in kind of this take on Stepford Wives or where it could be taken. But with Stepford Wives, I mean, the issue is that you cannot be woman and human. 
Mm-hmm. Those two things, you can't be both of those. You have to be one or the other. You're either woman or you're human. And it's really haunting. And then what Jordan Peele does with Get Out is also making fun of the what Reverend Al Sharpton called the latte liberal, which is you're liberal as long as you're willing to be comfortable, essentially, as soon as you're uncomfortable. I think that, that that's how I take it, is that the yeah, latte yeah. liberal. You're liberal as long as you're comfortable. The more I thought about it, I realized how significant it was. And of course, I gravitated towards Stepford Wives and seeing how the woman is just really flattened. Her personality is it's mm. non-existent. She just exists as object for the other. And then seeing what Jordan Peele did with that in, ter- in context of race was, you know, it wasn't haunting like Stepford Wives. He justified having a comedic element to it and it, as well as it being creepy. I mean, there were so many ways in which he was able to develop this idea. Yeah, no, I mean, it's and it's amazing, especially during a time because, you know, a lot of people, I guess for the liberals or liberal Hollywood, it's the target, the easy target for them is conservatives, right? Whereas a, a Bush or a Trump or something like that. But the, what, what I thought was brilliant about Jordan Peele's was, oh no, I'm, I'm going to attack like the so-called liberals, you know, in that sense, I'm going to shine the light on you, you know, to where just like you were saying, like the latte liberal where, yeah, I'm liberal as long as I'm comfortable with it. And that, that goes back to kind of what I was saying before about, yeah, no, but we're progressing, we're progressing. And the crazy thing about that film was the one part where the guy told the lead character, he was just like, oh man, if I if I can vote for Obama, you know, one more time and all I would. You know how many times people have told me that when I used to work at my at an old job? <laughs> oh people, no. People I didn't even know, they would come up, it was like, you know, if I could if I could vote for Obama one more time, I wish I wish I could bring him in for a third term. And I was just like, yo, what is what is it? Do I do I know Obama? Oh, you know what? I'm gonna call him. <laughs> I'm gonna let him know. Thank you, thank you for telling me. This is just like the fourth time. I so many people just want him for a third term. Let's, oh let's break God. the law. <laughs> you know, so I, so when I saw that in Jordan Peele's film, I said, yo, I said that is crazy because that's been said to me. I've lost count how many times that's been said to me. I did not know that was actually said. Oh yeah. no! Oh no! Yeah. All right. Well, this is a good PSA. You know what? I actually, I heard a comedian, she was doing an opening. Um, I can't, I can't remember her name, but I remember she's, she's a black comedian. And she had said to, um, she said to all of my, you know, all the white people out there, I don't need for you to come up to me and tell me how much you like Martin Luther King. She said, what I need for you to do, <laughs> sorry, what I need for you to do is that if you're white, interrupt other white people when they are being racist. Call them out on their Facebook. She's like, that's what I need for you to do. And just, you know, just to kind of follow up on what you're saying, uh, John, I get your point about we need to expand the the, the film narrative um, and yeah. the history of African-Americans and, and just black people in general. There's, I was pleased to see, you may or may not know this, but there's a, the richest, the actual richest man in history was somebody from Ghana, I believe. Uh, the, yeah, Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa. And, I, and yeah. I saw, it looks like Michael B. Jordan's trying to make a movie about him because I I want to see that movie like I there's obviously a a Middle Eastern connection there because it was was an amazing story about him doing his uh, Hajj from where he was in Africa to Saudi Arabia and I I think that's the story that they want to tell but I got to say probably 99% of people or probably 99% of white people don't even know who Mansa Musa was that's like one of the most amazing characters in history that I'd love to see a film about so I was pleased to know that there's some movement there to do something like that. And you, you know, the crazy thing is, I mean, I would say probably 97% of Black Americans don't know who Mansa Musa is. Like very close to the same amount that, that you said about white Americans, which is very sad. Actually, I, I found out about Mansa Musa mm, about seven, no, six years ago. And that was by accident. I just happened to do some research because sometimes I, I you know, want certain projects that I'm working on just to stand out in a particular way. And I just stumbled across this information. And I was just like, Mansa Musa. And I, I thought it was fake for a second. I was like, I've never heard of this guy. And you hear about Bill Gates and you hear about like Steve Jobs and, and et cetera, et cetera. Now Jeff Bezos. I was like, I've never heard of the black. He was a, the wealthiest man in the world. I was like, why have I never heard about this guy? So I just started going down that rabbit hole. And actually, no, you know, you know what? I was just doing some research on just black figures pre-slavery because i was just i'm tired of seeing these slave movies so i was just looking at uh all of these uh, Sh- uh shaka khan he was a very he was a great uh war general 
you know, they, you don't really hear much about him. And then Mansa Musa. And I was just like, man, like, why aren't they? And, and there was a battle that I had on myself at the time where it's just like the America that I want this to be, but actually the America that is for that I'm living in to where it's just like they don't want me nor anyone else to know like, hey, this is how great black history is. You know, it's just like, no, I only want you to focus on them being slaves, them being in the struggle and and on the conservative side, why don't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Well, every time we've tried to do that, you bombed Tulsa, Oklahoma, you bombed where what we've had because it was doing so well that, you know, people got jealous and they were just like, no, we don't want them to have a better town than we have. Let's blow it up. <laughs> you know, so it's disheartening. But um, I'm, I'm inspired because I didn't know that Michael B. Jordan was interested in doing that. So, I mean, we just need to have more of these conversations and just some honest and real moments about what's going on and like what's not really being taught, what should be taught. And yeah, just like even going back to what you were saying before, it's just like, yeah, I don't like like with that movie I was telling you about that they were talking about the Arab guy who is the villain and he's a terrorist. I don't want to see that movie. I don't want to see an Arab guy as a terrorist. I want to see an Arab guy as a regular person. I don't know. Have him be uh, kind of like <laughs> maybe off of the movie like Free Guy in a sense to where he may, let's say he's, he's a barista at a coffee shop. But somehow he needs to save the world. He just stumbled across this one. I need to save this person from being killed. And I'm in this situation that I, I shouldn't have been in, but I'm going to save America. By, what a, that'd be funny to me. That'd be great. That's the plot to one of my movies. Uh, it's about an Arab guy who's a barista. No, I'm just, 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 I, yeah, just joking <laughs> around there. I, yeah, no, no, I mean, I no, but I, but I usually do have an Arab American character. Like one of my favorite books is this book called The Raffle. And that has an Arab American character who's just like a totally normal person who's a whatever. He's, he's the protagonist in that. And then it just, there needs to be more, more stuff like that. On Mansa Musa, I don't know if Michael Jordan is still pursuing it, but I did see that there was some interest there. My yeah. hope is that there's a movie about that. Because I'm a history nerd, especially Middle Eastern and, and Africa and Middle East. It's all kind of connected together. And there's so many great stories there that I'd love to see made. I think it'll have a great impact on the world. Uh, much, oh, yeah. like, much like the work that you're doing, man. I, I really Thanks. do. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you you know, being honest. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And I hope we have more opportunities to work together, man, because I, oh, yeah. I, I, really, sure, I, I really, really, really enjoyed working with you on the director. I really enjoyed this conversation. I just wanted to make sure, I mean, you've got so much, you've got, um, you know, Instagram, <laughs> Amazon, how can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on, uh, like you said, Instagram. That's at J-T-S-L-I-M-C-U-T-T-A, at J-T-S-L-I-M-C-U-T-T-A. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube, John F. Thomas, or you can just go to my website, johnfthomas.com. This F is in like Frank, so John F. Thomas. We need some of your music for our outro or something. See, you've got a beautiful piano back there. Oh yeah, thank you. You know, so yeah, I, I, actually, I have I have music out there too. <laughs> I have like two, <laughs> two music projects so that people can find out there. So I'm it's it's crazy because sometimes I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm doing so much stuff. But <laughs> but but it's uh it's fun though. It's it's cool, and this has been great. You know, you guys are really good at going into details. You know. <laughs> good. Thank you so much, John. Have a good day. Yeah, you guys too. Thanks, man. Work my fingers to the bone. Sunrise till the early morning. Let the season wash them grow. Knock my dreams with chain and ball. Working to an early green. Days are free, but eyes are slaves. Pick that cotton toll away. See the Lord, my dying day. to see mm -hmm. how much more you have from me mm -hmm. 
Build my mind up with deceit. Tell me who I ought to be. Take back pride you stole from me. More than eyes can see. Mansumusa, 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 Bring it over your shoulder now, now, now bring it on now, now, till there ain't nothing left now, now, got a dig down need now, deep now, feel it rising in me now, see now, feel it in my bones now, whoa now, all in my soul now, so now, make it home someday now, hey now, break the chains away now, now, spread my heavenly wings now, now, Lord, come and take me now, now. Shepherd just like David now, now. Giant top of living swing now, now. Water rags from the knees now, now. But God made him king now, see now. Mansa Musa. I'm so, 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 I'm so,